This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I want to give you fair warning up front. I'm going to be speaking as fast as Kevin today. I know, you guys are in trouble, all right? We have a ton of stuff to go through, okay? We are in the middle of a teaching series called Rethink It. And basically, we're taking seven questions from our culture and saying, let's go back and look at those questions and let's answer those questions in light of what we know from God's Word. Or today, actually, we're going to answer this particular question, not from inside of God's Word, but from inside the world that God made. And I want to tell you up front, I'm going to give you a lot of information. And uh, so you're going to have to get ready to write and write in a hurry. Um, because basically, here's what we're doing. If you were to take every major world religion and every, every major philosophy in our world and line them up here on this stage, and we were going to ask one question out of all those possibilities, why would you choose Christianity? Is there anything that makes it different, better, unique? Is there any reason why you would choose it and not choose the rest? And, you know, that's a big question to answer in about 30 or 35 minutes. So I'll tell you right up front, it's probably going to be 40. Are you okay with that? And you're going to have to listen in a hurry. So here we go. All right. The the series called Rethink It is all based on one passage of Scripture. And it's Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. And it reads like this. It says, don't be conformed to this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good. That's what you'll find out. What God has for you is not only good, it's pleasing. In fact, it's perfect. So let's go back up to the beginning of that. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. I like the way J.B. Phillips translates that in his translation when he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And I think oftentimes, if you're a Christian, you tend to look at that in terms of behaviors. But he's actually working on something far deeper. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, what's the next word? think. So I'm going to ask you to think this morning because we're going to confront much of what our culture thinks and the way our culture thinks and and the challenges for us not to be squeezed into how the world around us thinks, particularly about the question of spirituality. Now here's what we know about healthy thinking. Healthy thinking is always based on truth. All of us intuitively know that. That healthy thinking cannot be based on deception. And when we get deceived, do we like that? Shake your head like this. No. Because we recognize that's painful. And that's not pleasant. And it's not a good thing to build our lives on. Do you have any friends that are living in denial? We probably all do. Why are they living in denial? Because their life's not going well. And they don't want to face it. Because healthy thinking can't be based on deception or denial. Denial is just a form of self-deception. And healthy thinking cannot be based on lies. Jesus spoke clearly to that. He said in John chapter 8, verse 32, that the truth will set you free. 
And there's an amazing thing that happens in our culture, and I want to talk about it because in a way what I'm going to say to you today is would be sort of considered massively politically non-correct. But I want to challenge you to actually consider what truth is. We live in this culture that says when it comes to spirituality, we have a whole, we take our whole mindset, we put our mindset over here, and we put on a whole new mindset. Let me show you what I mean by that. If I go to a doctor, what do I want the doctor to do? Do I want the doctor to run a bunch of tests and come out and say to me, Mr. Hunt, don't change a thing in your life, it's perfect. Well, I would love that if that were actually true. But if it's not true, is that what I want him to say to me? No. Let's just suppose that I have diabetes. And I go to the doctor and he runs a test and he realizes I have diabetes, but he comes out and he says, Mr. Hunt, I know there's all different forms of thought about diabetes and so forth, so if you think that taking a sugar pill is good for your diabetes, why, that's your reality, and I'm glad that you can live in that reality, and I hope that reality works for you. But who am I to question your reality? No, we would say, are you crazy? I would never trust my health to someone who wouldn't tell me the truth. So now, back to the question. Here's all the world philosophies and world religions, and they're all claiming to be true, and they all tell us conflicting truths. Our culture would say, pick any of them, and as long as you believe it, and as long as you follow it, it becomes your reality, and basically we all end up in the same place. That's like going to a doctor who says, pick any pill, as long as you believe in that pill and you take it faithfully, we all get well. You know what Jesus said? He called it out. Here's what Jesus said in John 18. He said, I was born and I came into the world to testify. Circle the word testify. We're going to come back to that in a minute. To testify to the truth. And he went on to say, and all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate looked at him and said, what is truth? Because Pilate was struggling with what was actually true. Sounds like people in our culture. Well, truth is relative. I, I don't know what truth is. I don't know how to... Jesus said, listen, I came to testify. Now, one of the things that we ask of a witness is to testify. And especially if the witness is an eyewitness, oftentimes we'll line up a whole bunch of potential people, any one of whom might be the perpetrator, and we want to know if they actually are an accurate eyewitness, and we ask them to pick it out of a line, pick that person out of a lineup. That's very common. You know what Jesus is saying? You put every world religion, every philosophy up there, and I will point you to the truth every time. I came to testify to the truth. Well, here's a little bit of my story. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, certainly by the time I was 20, Christianity was pretty much all I knew. I knew a little bit about Judaism because, Jew because Christianity was designed to be the fulfillment of Judaism, but I knew a lot more about Christianity, and God had called me to become a pastor, and I realized very early on that I can't look at people who are honestly searching for truth and tell them, oh, just trust me. 
You know, I've always believed in Christianity. You should too. And so I realized I needed to do some research. And so I decided that I was going to look at the major world religions and world philosophies, and I was going to study what was at the base of each one and what they were built on, and I was going to make up my mind not only for the people I was teaching, but I felt like I wanted to build my own life on it. And so I'm going to share with you a little bitty 30-minute journey of my research. Okay? So I started out and said, you know, there's these things called the universals that every single philosophy or world religion sort of has at their core. They seek to answer, all of them seek to answer the same questions. And there are sort of three universals. So here they are. The first universal is this. Where did I come from? And there's a sort of a question that's a subset of that. And that is, why do I exist? Because where I come from certainly has large implications for why I'm alive and and why I exist. The second universal was this, where am I going? And that has the subset of, is there life after death? Every single one of us wants to know that. And the third question is this, how do I get there? If there is life after death, how do I get to the best place in life after death? And that sort of brings up the issue of salvation However, that's understood in each of these philosophies and world religions. So I started with those three, and I thought, I wonder if I take all of these things and I pass them through the sieve of those three questions, what I get at the bottom? Sort of what falls out the bottom? And so that's where I started. Now, much to my amazement and also comfort, I realized there's a lot of philosophies and there's a lot of world religions. How am I going to possibly look at all of them? And as I began to do my study and research, I found out that really all the philosophies and all the major world religions sort of fit into three categories. So it's a little easier to take three of these categories through there than the whole gang one at a time. So here's how they sort of divide into three categories. And, and, and the, the first category is Darwinian evolution and humanistic philosophy. And uh, the easiest way to illustrate why they divide into three categories is to use this little box. And let's, I call this the cosmic cube, okay? So this represents the universe or the cosmos and everything in it. So Darwinian evolution and humanistic philosophy are built on the concept that there's nothing outside the box. There's no God out here. There's no... It, it's, it's, they all make an effort to explain life without God. So there's no God in the box. There's no God outside the box. That everything inside the box is purely matter and energy. And everything that you see with your eyes or experience can be explained purely and simply in terms of physical forces that, that are somehow acting on matter and energy. The second group, is, is a, the second group of, of religions is Eastern religions and New Age spirituality. By the way, there's a ton of people here in Marin and Sonoma counties who believe in Darwinian evolution and humanistic philosophy. It's huge. There's also a large number of people in our culture who, who subscribe to New Age thought and spirituality. Okay? There's a reason why 
This is considered one of the most spiritual regions in our country, but also the most unchurched because we have tons of people who are looking at these first two categories. So what does Eastern religion and New Age thought teach us? Well, when it comes to the box, they say, well, no, it can't just be molecules and energy. There has to be some sort of divine. So they take God and put God inside the box. So they, these are polytheistic or pantheistic religions. A polytheistic religion is a religion that believes in many gods. For instance, Hinduism has about 3,000 gods, actually more than that, but at least 3,000. And so different gods have, 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 have worked to create different things and govern different things, but the deal is all the gods are inside the box, Okay. Pantheism will teach you that pretty much everything inside the box is composed of a divine essence or a life force. Have you ever heard the the statement, you need to get in touch with the God inside you? That's pantheistic religion and philosophy. That somehow there's the essence of God that that, um, is present in the trees. There's the essence of God that's present in pretty much everything. So they sort of make the box God or everything in the box is God. And then the third group of religions are actually three religions that I'll bet you never thought that I would mention in sort of in the same category. And that's Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And here's what they all have in common. They all have in common that they believe the box was created by an all-powerful and an all-knowing supernatural being god and that god made the box and everything in it including me and that he has an eternal purpose for my life and he created this on purpose so we're going to take a look at the three universal questions in light of those three groups of philosophies and world religions so let's jump into the very first one the very first question and that's where did i come from Darwinian evolution and humanistic philosophy says nothing exists outside that cosmic cube and nothing supernatural exists even inside the box. Therefore, you and I originated purely from physical forces and we have no ultimate purpose. Okay? Now, you might not realize it, but Darwin held a very important, and still does, holds a very important place in human history Because, though he was not the world's first atheist, he was the first person to come along and to provide a plausible theory for how life could originate and develop apart from God. No God needed in Darwin's model. Here was his postulation that there were some carbon molecules, carbon-based molecules, out in the cosmos somewhere billions of years ago. So you need to understand he started with a cosmos already in existence and doesn't really offer any suggestion about how it came into being. But there were these carbon-based molecules that under ideal circumstances and conditions came together and fused and and generated the first living organism, which was a one-celled organism. And then through the processes of genetic mutation and natural selection, that that life form became more and more complicated 
and at some point began to develop intelligence and it got more and more intelligent until after the passage of billions of years we are where we are today and we are up to this point the most complicated and intelligent thing that has evolved. And that's where I came from. That was Darwin's answer. And by the way, every humanistic philosophy is built on that platform because Darwin is the only guy to date in the history of the world who has ever put forth a plausible explanation for how life could exist outside of the presence and help of a God. Okay? Eastern religion and New Age philosophy says, and there's lots of disagreement in this category about where we came from, but the one thing they all agree on is this. They all agree on nothing exists outside the box, but everything inside the box is God in some form. Doesn't really say where we came from, but, but here's what we know, or here's what they tell us we know, that we are but one of millions of expressions of this impersonal life force or essence. Christianity says, here's where you came from. Islam, Judaism, they all say the same thing. There's an all-knowing, all-powerful creator who made the cosmos and everything in it. For his purposes, he has revealed himself to us, to me personally, and he has an ultimate purpose for my life. So I took those three possibilities and I did what any investigator would do. I said, is there any data that would point me in any direction? I've got three very conflicting answers. I would like to know which one of these actually matches the data, if any of them. And I'm going to give you two sort of updated um, illustrations of what I found. We're going to look to the world of astronomy for one, and we're going to look to the world of molecular biology for the other. In the field of astronomy, I discovered something rather interesting. Did you know people counted stars? I didn't know. I never imagined that anyone would sit out there and look up in the sky and, and count them. But there was a guy back in 128 AD, his name was Hipparchus, and armed with evidently a huge curiosity and very good eyesight, he would sit out underneath the stars and he would start mapping out the stars and counting them, trying to figure out how many of them there were. And he came up with an astounding figure. He said, I have been able to identify 1,026 different stars. And did you know that that figure remained relatively unchallenged for 1,700 years? People just figured, oh, did you want to count the stars? Okay, I'll take his word for it. <laughs> and so they did. And then along came a guy by the name of Johannes Kepler. And he was one of the inventors of a telescope. And he invented this telescope that was, are you ready for this? A nine-power telescope. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? Nine power. And everything in it was upside down. He knew that because he looked at somebody and went, whoa, dude, <laughs> upside down. So he went out and decided that he was going to point his nine-power telescope up there, and he was, and he was going to identify the stars. He started charting and mapping out stars. You know what he figured? He said, you know that dude, Hipparchus? Good guy, but he actually double-counted some stars. And I know that because i got a nine-power telescope, and it tells me that, right? And he figured out 
that there was only 1,005 stars. Now, i got to tell you, you fast forward to a couple decades ago, actually probably three or four, and the invention of the Hubble telescope, which I know you've all heard of. And there's all sorts of powerful programs that are hooked up to the Hubble telescope, and one of them counts and maps the stars. By the year 2003, you know how many stars Hubble Telescope had identified? I want you to write down this number. You ready? 70 times 10 to the 21st power. That's a 70 followed by 21 zeros. Now, I struggle with that. That's a big number, right? That's bigger than a MasterCard bill. Teasing? I don't have a MasterCard bill. Don't go run into Justin and, and rat me out to Kevin, all right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's how big that number is, okay? If you were to count every grain of sand on every beach in the world, and you were to count every grain of sand on the bottom of every ocean in the world, and you were to count every grain of sand in every desert in our world, there would still be more stars than that. Now here's my question. Do you think that that just could have happened by itself? And furthermore, we don't have a computer in our world who could effectively manage a machine that had that many moving parts and keep them from running into each other. A machine with 70 times 10 to the 21st power parts is a complicated machine. Somebody made that. And somebody's keeping it going. Let's go to the field of molecular biology. A fellow by the name of Dr. Francis Collins has just written a book called The Language of God. I haven't read it yet. It's on my list of books to read. I just found out about it uh, a few weeks ago. I can't wait to read this book. But Francis, Dr. Francis Collins was a skeptic and an atheist until he became the leading genetic research scientist in charge of the Human Genome Project in our country. It's actually an international project. And their, their assignment was to map out the entire genetic sequence and genetic code in human DNA. And they started in that project. I mean, that was a huge project. Let me tell you a couple things they found out. You probably have all seen sort of pictures of the model of, the, of human DNA. It looks like a ladder that's twisted, right? It's called a double helix uh, shape, okay? I'll bet you didn't know this. I didn't know this until I started doing the research. You know how long the DNA strand is that's in every one of your human cells? I mean, your human cells are teeny, 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 tiny, right? It takes a microscope to see one. You know how long the DNA ladder is in there? Are you ready? It's more than six feet long. It's in every cell in your body. And they began to map out the genetic code and the genetic sequence in human DNA, and, and Dr. Collins says this. By the way, he's a Christian today, okay? Because the, the evidence he saw overwhelmed him. 
He said, if you were to take that genetic code that's in every cell of your body and you were actually to type it out in, in code on a computer and you were to print it out on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, 12 point type, single spaced, both sides of the paper, one inch margin, standard stuff, and you started typing out the genetic code that's in every cell of your body, the paper would begin to stack up. And you know how tall that stack of papers would be? Bear in mind, one cell, one human cell, it's in every one of them, the genetic code would actually be a stack of papers taller than the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. Okay? You know, when, when I looked at those three categories... And I said, does that seem like that could be an accidental coincidence? No. No. Does that seem like that could be the result of some impersonal life force and some sort of sort of like divine essence that somehow just sort of fills everything? No. It pointed me to an all-knowing for sure, an all-powerful God who made the heaven and earth. And you know what I realized? I'd only been through one question and the first two-thirds were off of my list of things that I would consider building my life on because they simply didn't match the data. Okay? So I went to the second question. And the second question is, okay, where am I going? And I'd already written off these first two categories because they simply didn't match all the data that was out there They didn't even come close to matching that data. By the way, I want to say this. Last week, Kevin gave a fantastic sermon. If you didn't hear it, you should pull it up and listen to it. But in that sermon, Kevin said that science and the Bible are coming closer and closer together. Friends, I agree with that. But I I, I want to give you different hand motions, okay? Because Kevin said it's going like this. Here's the deal. It's not like the Bible's moving a little this way and, and science is moving this way. The Bible's always been here, okay? And science is coming this direction. And more and more scientists are becoming Christians because the evidence is absolutely so overwhelming. Okay? Now, in the second question, where am I going? The first two categories. Let's take a look at the first category. Darwinian evolution and humanistic philosophy say there is no hope of any form of life after death. When I die, buddy, that's it. There is nothing more. In fact, in a debate that took place on Stanford on the Stanford University campus between uh, UC Berkeley professor Dr. Philip Johnson and uh, Cornell professor uh, Dr. Will Provine. Uh, Dr. Provine is um, he is an evolutionary biologist at Cornell University. Here's what he said, and he said right up front, and I'm, I'm going to read you his exact words, but what he said right before he said these words, he said, and I have to tell you that these basically are exactly the same thing we got from Charles Darwin himself. You ready? Here are the conclusions. Number one, there's no gods or any, purp- or any uh, purposive forces of any kind. Number two, there is no life after death. Number three, there's no ultimate foundation for ethics. Number four, there's no ultimate meaning in life. And number five, there's no free will or moral responsibility. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not going to get into the debate of any of those things, but I have to tell you, I was really glad that my previous research pointed me away from that. That did not sound good. Okay? When I went to the second category 
the category of uh, Eastern religions and so forth. Here's what I learned. They wanted, they wanted me to know that life after death takes the form of transmigrational reincarnation, that somehow I get sucked back into this earth after I die every time and that, and that, that I get reincarnated and my eventual goal is to escape this cyclic process of life and death. And in fact, the word for it is nirvana. And when you look up the word nirvana, you know what it means? Extinguish. That's literally what the word means. So the idea is that through this series of reincarnations, eventually I would climb and get higher and higher and higher on the ladder until eventually I get absorbed into some form of eternal consciousness and I go out of, be- out of existence as a being. Well, I looked at that and I, w- I was sort of glad that that was not my future. Because frankly, I'd prefer not to go out of existence. Frankly, I'd prefer to live forever. Okay? So then when I went to Islam and and Judaism and Christianity, once again, I found out they gave a unified answer. And the unified answer is this. All people live after dying. And they will be assigned either to the paradise or the punishment of God. In other words, I will live forever in one place or the other. And you know that sort of matched up with where the data pointed after the first question. If this box was created for a purpose, and we were created for a purpose, I would expect that if we lived with that purpose in mind, that there would be some sort of blessing or reward for that. And if we lived in opposition to that purpose, that there would be some form of consequence for that. That just seemed to make sense. So then I went to question number three. And question number three is, okay, if there's a paradise and punishment, I would sure like to get on the right end of that deal. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So how do I get there? And this is the question of salvation. Now, once again, I'll go quickly through the first two options. And this is where Islam, Judaism, and Christianity definitely part ways. But let's go to the first two. Here's what they say. Since there is no life after death and no ultimate purpose, the best I can do is to create some purpose of my own. You know what I wrote in my margin? I'm making it up as I go. I got a question for you. Did you ever play any games as a kid when one of the kids was making up the rules as you went along? Was that a fun game? Who always won? The kid who made the rules, right? Of course. And did you know that's why there's so much chaos in our world? Because when I think I can make up the rules, what kind of rules do I make up? The kind that always have me winning. And in order for me to win, what do you have to do? You have to lose. Yeah. Far Eastern religion and and New Age thought. My transmigrational reincarnation journey is based on karma. I want you to circle the word karma, draw a line out into the margin, and I want you to write the opposite of grace because that's what karma is. And it teaches me that my goal is to create as much positive karma as possible so that I can escape being sucked back into this earth and having to live another life. A friend of mine came to my house who is a big-time believer in karma and Far Eastern religion and New Age thought. And he was telling me, he said, Ron, you don't realize, you don't realize, I drove to your house, and on the way to your house, I know 
my truck hit some bugs. And there will be a price I have to pay for that. I know, you, 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 okay. When I was in India a few years ago, I picked up an English medium newspaper and, and there's a, a, a sect of Hinduism called Jainism. And again, I, I want to reiterate everything I say today, whether it's about Charles Darwin or it's about any humanistic philosopher or, or, or whether it's about the founder of any of these religions, Buddhism, Hare Krishna, Hinduism, all the more Eastern religions or, or, or New Age people, and what I'm going to say in a couple of minutes about Islam and Judaism. Friends, these are wonderful people. But there is ultimate truth. Okay? I pick up this newspaper. These people are trying to seek the truth. And they have been taught this concept of karma. And there's this big flap in Jainism uh, about the fact that the, that the religion is losing credibility because the coming generations are disregarding what are basic principles of karma, like eating after dark. Well, I couldn't feel alive if you're What could be bad about eating after dark? So I decided to read the rest of the article, and here's the deal. I didn't check this out to know if it's scientifically true, but here's what they were saying. And that is, scientific research indicates that when the sun goes down, the bacteria content in food goes up. And if you eat after dark, you're killing more bacteria, and those are living organisms, and you are creating negative karma. Okay, now, you know what? That's why I said... Karma is no grace, period. Everything you have done in your life, you will pay for, period. No one's going to help you with it. No one can take that debt away from you. No one can solve your negative karma. Your only hope is you better start creating some positive karma because somehow you don't get sucked back into this earth and have to live another lifetime. Wow. I was glad that the previous thing had sort of already ruled that out. Now, here's where Islam, Judaism, and Christianity part ways. What do they say about how do we get to the paradise of God? Here's what Islam says. I get to paradise by believing Allah is the one true God and Muhammad is his greatest prophet and making sure that my obedience to him is at a level where my obedience outweighs my disobedience. Now, I'm not going to get into the concept of Allah. I'm not going to get into the concept of Muhammad and, and historical evidence, either for or against that. That's a subject for a different time. But I want to talk to you about this thing, about, about this great cosmic scale and the good deeds on one side and the bad deeds on the other side. Because I think to many of us, that seems fair. I know it does to most people in our culture. But, but you know, as I thought about that, I realized I had two major problems with that. Number one, most of us sleep eight hours, which means that we're awake 16. You mean to tell me I can fill eight hours of every day with pure evil and I'm still good because I've got eight hours of good things and I'm, and I'm in. I would submit to you that anyone 
who cannot fill a day with less than eight hours of evil. What kind of monster is that? That bar is so low. And then I realized, I went to the Quran. And, and in the Quran it says, do you realize that one good deed is heavier on that cosmic scale than ten bad ones? I want you to think about that for a minute. How low does that make that bar? It just didn't seem to me that an all-knowing, all-powerful God would require so little of us. I realized something else, too. I'm 62. I can say that for three more weeks, all right? So I'm 62. Let's just suppose that I've lived 62 years as a hellion, and I feel my life I've just been an awful guy. And somebody comes along and says, you need to figure out, you're going to die. You need to be get ready to get ready to die. <coughs> and they haul out this, this, this sort of cosmic balance thing. And I think, I've got 62 years of bad. How am I doing? Do I have much of a chance to live to 124? What can I do? There's not much hope there. That didn't seem right to me. That an all-knowing, all-powerful God would somehow come to me and say, I'm sorry, Ron, you are past the point of, of, of salvation. You're just done. So I turned to Judaism. And I realized that Judaism says, I get to paradise by believing Jehovah is the one true God. At that point, Judaism and Christianity are exactly the same. But Judaism says, I also need to keep the law of Moses. So I read the law of Moses, and I realized that in the law of Moses, that there was a high priest who was to offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement every year for the sins of the people, and it was the only way that God would forgive the sins of the people. I also realized that sacrifice had to be made on the altar of burnt offering, either at the tabernacle when it was a tent, or the temple when it was later built in Jerusalem, and that the high priest was the only one who could offer that sacrifice. I also found that God required me to go to Jerusalem three times a year, and at that temple or tabernacle, to celebrate an annual feast in His presence. And then, something occurred to me. There hasn't been an ordained high priest in the Jewish religion for almost 2,000 years. There has not been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 A.D. There is no altar of sacrifice, and there hasn't been a single sacrifice made on the Day of Atonement on that altar for almost 2,000 years. Now, I love the law of Moses in all the history that's in the Bible. But I realized it did not make sense to me that God would ask me to do something that was physically impossible to do. If that was His plan for me, He would still have a temple in Jerusalem and there would still be a high priest and I could go there and do what He had asked me to do. That just didn't square with me. didn't make sense. So then I looked at Christianity. So what does Christianity say? Christianity says I get to paradise by worshiping Jehovah as the one true God, acknowledging that I need a Savior, 
and choosing Jesus as my Savior and becoming his follower. I looked at that and I said, you know, there's something fundamentally different about that. It's fundamentally actually more loving than any of the first ones put together. Every single one of the world religions and philosophies was basically saying to me, Ron, you have to save yourself. In Darwinian evolution, you have to create your own purpose in life. In Eastern religion and New Age, you have to create your own positive karma. No one can do it for you. No one will do it for you. Certainly this divine essence is not going to do it for you. When I got to Islam, Ron, you have to make sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That Allah's not going to do that for you. Muhammad's not going to do that for you. It's all on you. When I got to Judaism, it was, Ron, you have to keep the commandments of the Old Testament law, and you have to make sure that you do that because that's your responsibility. But when it came to Christianity, it was something quite different, and I think you'll see it in this video. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind. And when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. Another man appeared. There was something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. dragged him into the light, and the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved.
This is how God says it in his word. Wasn't that great? Yeah, this is how God says it in his word. Yeah. This is a verse I know you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and I want to accommodate it to the video you just saw. For God loved the people in the whole so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone in the pit who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the hole not to judge the people in the hole but to save them through him. I want you to understand this. The fundamental teaching of Christianity is something that's either monstrously true and wonderful or it's preposterous. There's no middle ground. Here's what I mean. The fundamental teaching of Christianity is that the God who created the heavens and the earth, this all-knowing, all-powerful God, through an act of amazing grace and unbelievable love, decided to come and die for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and live with Him forever. Now friends, either that's an amazing act of love so incomprehensible it has to come from a God that's so different from you and me but so wonderful or it's the ultimate in egocentric religion. For who would ever invent a religion that would say, I am so cool, even God would die for me. That is the core teaching of Christianity. And it is why I'm a Christian today. When you look at the lineup, it's the only one that actually squares with the data that's available. There's only one way to apply this message, and that is if you're not a Christian, to recognize God has a wonderful claim and plan for your life. And that you would acknowledge that and step into it and thank the God who made you, that He not only made you, He has redeemed you through the death of His Son. And that's the only thing that you can do on your own. Nobody can do it for you. Here's the prayer you pray if you're ready to make that decision. Dear God, thank you for telling me the truth about life, about where I came from, about where I'm going, and about what I'm supposed to be doing here. Thank you for loving me instead of judging me. Thank you for coming down into the hole after me. I trust you. I believe in your son Jesus. And I ask you to forgive me through him. I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.